Well, this morning we're going to talk about trusting God. I'm going to have my grandson Keaton come up, and he is going to help us with that. We're going to do what we call a trust fall. You see it on the screen. A trust fall is when a person crosses their hands, and then they fall backwards in trusting that somebody will catch them. And so Keaton has volunteered to help me this morning. So Keaton, come on up here. Put your hands over your heart. Turn around. Okay, now just fall backwards. All right, good job. Tell you what, let's up the ante. Why don't you go two steps up? Ooh, yeah. So go ahead and fall. All right, that's great. Keaton told me before he'd like to do a trust fall with somebody. Jonathan, come on up. And let's let you and Keaton do a trust fall together, okay? All right, go ahead and fall. Yeah, that is great. Awesome, thank you very much. That was fun. Would you like to do another one? Sure. Okay, well, how about Charlie? Charlie, why don't you come up and Keaton will catch you. Uh, yeah, the point was you were supposed to go, uh uh-uh. And then we were going to go, Ken, Ken, why don't you come up? And you were going to go, uh-uh. Uh, how about you, Paul, back there? Mm, no, okay. Well, it didn't work out too well. But anyway, you guys get the point, right? Keaton is somewhere under 100 pounds, and no offense to anybody, but some of you are way over 100 pounds. And so that probably wouldn't work. And, and trust is hard. In fact, trust can be really, really, really tough. Watch this on the screen. Well, you see, this guy is going to fall back, and they're going to catch him. But watch what happens to their heads. They bump heads in the morning, and then they drop him. This young lady is going to fall. These guys are big. They could catch her, but she falls through the hole in their arms. This guy is going to jump 20 feet out of a tree into a tarp, and looks what happens when it hits the tarp. Goes right through it. This guy's falling off a roof. Look at this guy. Oh! All right. That really hurt. Oh. It's true. It really hurts when trust is broken in our lives. And so the question we're going to focus on this morning is this. Am I trusting God? And one of the things that happens when we ask that question is we think, well, you know, sometimes my issues seem really, really large. I mean, they're like hippopotamus large, kind of like this cartoon here. And looks like he's going to try to get the mouse to catch him. And because we don't see God all the time, we think God is not really that big. He's not really able to catch us. Or sometimes our problems can be and our issues can be as big as the uh, executive at Geico, if you've seen the commercials. And look who's going to catch him, the Geico gecko down there. He's going to crush him. There's no way. Sometimes our problems and issues seem like they are whale-sized. And here we have a whale jumping out of the water, going to do a trust fall on some whale watchers, and doesn't look like that's going to work very well at all. But we kind of sometimes think that. You know, am I really trusting God? And so this morning we want to explore that. Am I really, really trusting God? Let's, let's apply that question to Philippians 4th chapter, verse 19, and the Phillips translation, which says this. My God will supply all that you need from his glorious resources in Christ Jesus. And you look at that and you go, okay, yeah, sure. But really? Is that really true? And God says, yes, it is. That is really true. But there is one qualification. You go, "Ah, I knew there was a catch. What is that one qualification? Well, Matthew's ninth chapter and 29th verse says it's your faith. You see, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And when we talk about faith, what are we talking about? We're not talking about stuff that comes and you simply sit in a Bible study or you sit in a worship service and you simply think about it or you wish for it or you hope for it. You talk about your faith. No, we're talking about a faith that strengthens like a muscle is. You know how a muscle is strengthened? A muscle is strengthened when it's stretched and when it's used. And when a muscle is not stretched and not used, what happens? It atrophies and it becomes weaker. Same thing with our faith. 
And so God has a means of stretching our faith like muscles. And it's what First Peter 1, 7 in the New Living Translation says is trials. Trials are only to test your faith. And I know what you're thinking. Bill, I don't want to be tested. I'm with you. I really don't want to be tested either. But how about this? What do you say when your middle school kid comes home and says, well, I want to keep going to school, but I refuse to be tested anymore in all my years in junior high and high school? What do you say? What happens when the 16-year-old kid next door says, you know, I'm going down to take my driver's test, and I'm going to get my license, I'm going to be out on the road with you, but I refuse to be tested? What happens when the college kid across the street says, you know, I'm going to be an aeronautical engineer. I am going to design airplanes, and you're probably going to fly in one of my airplanes probably in less than 10 years, but I refuse to take a test when I'm getting my aeronautical engineering degree. Wait, what do you say to kids like that? It's the same thing that God says to us as his kids. Guess what? You know, you have to be tested to learn the stuff you need in life. And it's true of them, it's true of us. And so trials are not only to test our faith to show that they're pure and strong, but you have to realize, too, that trials are not created by God just to test us. He could let us have trials and just let us flounder on our own with them. But he says, no, I'm going to meet you in those, and I'm going to help you in those. And through that, we can become stronger and purer in our faith. So this I don't want to be tested thing just doesn't really fly. And when it comes to trials, there's something we need to understand. There's really four tests that come out of each trial that we have in our life. And the first test is what you might call a pressure test. Because, you know, when you're tested or you have a trial, there certainly seems to be pressure there, doesn't it? Psalms 50, 15 in the Living Bible tells us this. God says, I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so that I can rescue you and you can give me glory. Now, when we are faced with a trial, it's the first thing we reach for God not always. Sometimes he's the third thing. Sometimes what happens, the first thing we reach for is the stewing feeling. You know, the feeling of stewing. Well, I need to say my mom is a very great lady of faith, strong faith. And she, in the last couple of weeks, has had a contaminant enter her apartment. And because of that, they said, you're going to have to move out for four or five days. They gave her another apartment. That was cool. And uh, we're going to get rid of it and then move you back in. Well, it turned out not to be four or five days. Tomorrow's day 12. And she is over it. And they've had to rip up all her carpet. They've thrown away several significant pieces of furniture. They've taken all of her stuff out of her drawers. And they've piled all the things up, scratched her furniture. And let me just say, she is upset. She is stewing about it. She's upset. And the same thing's true with us. When we have some sort of a trial that comes up in our life, man, oh man, it's so easy to get upset. And if you keep stewing, you know what happens? You end up kind of going crazy a little bit, don't you? It drive you nuts. And so when a trial comes our way, one of the things we do is stew. Another thing we do is that we seek stress relievers. In other words, how can this feel better? I've got to do something here. Of course, a lot of times it could be something not good for us, like substance abuse. It could be some bad habit we've had in the past, and we've really gotten over it, except when things get really tough, and then we kind of retreat back to it again. It could be eating the wrong kinds of food or eating too much food. It could be retail therapy, as they call shopping, for things you don't really need. It could be just that you pretend it's no longer there. There is no trial here. Everything's rosy. Everything's fine. 
And so when trials come up, sometimes we stew, sometimes we seek stress relievers. But what God is saying here is, I want you to trust me in your times of trouble. I'm going to rescue you so you can give me glory. In other words, go to me first. Absorb my heart and my spirit in you, and I will rescue you. And in doing that, I will receive glory. You know, Jeremiah 2.13 in the New Century Version says this, My people have turned from me. This describes this process. They've turned from me the spring of living water. What they've done is they've gone out and they've dug their own wells, which are broken and that cannot hold water. The truth is, is that we do that kind of thing, don't we? I mean, when you start stewing or you start seeking stress release on your own, you're just out there digging your own kind of well. And here's kind of a video illustration of this. And close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. Oh, instead of falling back into her sister, she fell the opposite way away from her sister. You see, that's what God's talking about here. People have turned away from me. People aren't falling back into me so that I can rescue them. They're going their own way, the opposite way, lots of times. And so what they do is it's they dig their own wells. They're broken. They don't hold water. It's kind of like, say, you were in the desert. Now, most of us don't have a lot of experience in the desert. But if you go without water for three days, you're probably going to die, okay? So let's say you're in the desert, it's been two days, third day's coming on, and you're like going, i got to get some water, I'm going to die. And so you come up over the dune, and you see this huge sign. Thirsty? Enjoy living water, and never thirst again. And you are so excited, and so you go up to the guy there underneath the sign, and he says, living water, would you like some? And you go, no, but do you have a shovel? And so he goes, yeah, he gives you the shovel. You go over to the next dune, and what do you start doing? You start digging your own well. Well, I hope I'm going to find some water here. And here's the crazy thing. We all do this. As you're digging the well, hoping you're going to find water, you ask God to bless you in what you're doing. Isn't that true? Oh, God, help me to dig a well and find water here. Bless me in this. You know, I'm struggling. Help me out. All the time, he says, hey, I am the source of living water. Come directly to me. We need to stop digging our wells with the stewing and the seeking stress relief. In fact, uh, Isaiah's 50th chapter, verse 15 in the New Living Translation says this. If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. God says the way you do that is you let go of stuff. You let go of the, the trying to relieve it, the stewing. Let go of those things. And when you do that, you're able to slow down and stop being in a hurry. Because whenever a trial comes on us, we want to fix it right then, don't we? Oh, man, this thing's coming on me. i got to get rid of this. i got to figure this out. i got to get past this thing. But God says, no, don't do that stew thing. Don't do the stress relief thing. Just let go of it. And that way you'll slow down. That way you won't be in a hurry. And that way you'll be able to trust in me. That way you'll be able to rely on me. You see, that's what God wants. And so those tests that come out of our trials, there is, yes, a pressure test. And, man, we hate this one, don't we? Profound disappointment test. Ah, oh, it's terrible. The issue here is how am I going to handle my disappointments? Because life is often, unfortunately, disappointing. That's because things don't turn out as planned. Things don't turn out when planned. Things don't turn out according to my goals, my hopes, my dreams, and things don't turn out with people in my life always the way I want them to. Isaiah 2, 22 in the New Century Version says, you should stop trusting in people to save you. 
because they are only human. You see, people can make us feel all sorts of ways, all sorts of disappointments. They can make us feel insecure or frustrated. People can make us feel appreciated or worried. People can make us feel fearful or discouraged. But people can't fix that. You see, only God can fix that. So Jeremiah 17, 7, New Living Translation says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They've made Him their hope and their confidence. And Isaiah 49, 23 says how we do that. It says, Anyone who trusts in me will not be disappointed. As you look at that scripture on the screen there, what that really says is this. When it comes to the will not, it really should be capitalized and double underlined, okay? Because when we trust in him, we will not be disappointed. And who is he referring to? Anyone. Any one of us at all. Let me tell you about Emily Kingsley. Man, she has written a book on disappointments. And let me tell you what, she really, really understands them. Her disappointments was when her baby was born, it didn't turn out as she thought it would. And so she ended up raising a handicapped child. And she said, you know, having a baby is kind of like planning a fabulous vacation of your dream destination, Italy. All your life you've dreamed of going to Italy. And now here we are down to the last few months. You start planning your trip. You have your airfare. You start learning some key phrases in French. So that in French. You start learning some key phrases. See, my dream destination is Paris, okay? That's where I always wanted to go. I'm 63. I'll never get to go. Of course, my daughter's been. My 13-year-old grandson has been. And I haven't got to go to... Uh, that, there I am. I'm stewing. I'm sorry. No, but so you, you book your airfare to Italy. You've always wanted to go. You're down to the last few months. You start learning phrases in Italian. And you start getting your itinerary together. You're so excited. You want to see the Colosseum. You can imagine walking on this cobblestone street and touching the ruins and seeing how it's set up. You're so excited. You want to go to see the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican to see all that beautiful work by Michelangelo. You want to go in a gondola in Venice and explore the waterways there. You want to go to art museums and see sculptures and paintings. And you just, all your life you wanted to do this. Now you're down to the last few months. And then the day comes. You board the airplane and you are heading to Italy, your dream destination. And so you land, you get off the plane and you see this. Welcome to Holland. You're like, wait a minute. I I'm not going to Holland. I'm going to Italy. And then you realize that the plane has taken off heading to Italy and... You are stuck in Holland. There's nothing you can do. So your vacation will have to be in Holland. And you are so upset that you can't realize that Holland has beautiful windmills and flowers. And Holland has really interesting cities and canals all through them that are pretty cool. And they have some pretty neat art museums too. And so you kind of go to one and you start thinking about that. And pretty soon, look, you're pretty excited to be in Holland. This place is cool. And you meet friends there, and you learn some of the phrases, and you really enjoy yourself there. That is until you get back on the plane, and all the people that went to Italy come and tell you how great Italy was. Man, Italy was awesome. We saw the Colosseum, and there were parades out in front of it. We got to see the Pope, all the architecture, and all the museums, and all the culture. It was just wonderful. And pretty soon, you're 
experience a significant loss. You're miserable. You didn't get to go to Italy. You had to go to Holland. You forget about how relaxing Holland was and how many friends you made there and all the great things you saw and all the things you learned about yourself. And pretty soon, Holland turns into Haiti. Man, oh man. And you're just miserable. Well, you see, this lady, Emily, who wrote this book, her child was autistic, severely autistic. And she said, my life was planned and my baby was planned for Italy. It was going to be awesome. But what I've discovered was it didn't end up in Haiti. I ended up in Holland. You see, us in our lives, we so have plans. We so want things to turn out like Italy. And so often they turn out like Holland. But she says, you know, you got to enjoy it because it really can be very, very awesome. And you see, anyone who trusts in me, God says, will not, will not, will not be disappointed. These tests that come out of trials, there's the pressure test, there's the profound disappointment test, and then there's the persistence test. The problems we have with persistence is that all of us are half committed to two dozen things, aren't we? I mean, just look at your to-do list all day long, all week long. We're all just half committed to 24 things. God says we need to be committed to two things, three things, and premier amongst those has to be God. If you want to learn to play the piano, you don't learn by looking at the piano standing before it, do you? The only way you'll learn to play is you get your fingers involved with the keys. You see, that's what happens with our faith. We have to get our fingers on the keys of faith for us to really grow in it and to learn to trust God more and more and more in our life. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 in the New Century Version says this, If you make a promise to God but don't keep it, God's not happy with fools, so give God what you promised. A lot of us... You know, say, hey, yeah, I'm going to trust you, God. I promise to do that. And then when we don't do that, it's really, really foolish, isn't it? And so what kind of promises to God do we make that sometimes we struggle in keeping? Perhaps for you, it's guarding your thoughts, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us. Or perhaps it is you're thinking about good things, as Philippians 4.8 tells us. You see, if we don't guard our thoughts, again, you're going to be stewing, you're going to be seeking stress relief. If you don't think on good things, then again, you're not able to trust God. You're not able to receive what God has for you. So whatever it is that's blocking you from trusting God, think about what those things are. Ecclesiastes 8, 5 in the Living Bible says, The wise man will find a time and a way to do what he says. So often we give up too soon. And why do we do that? It's like, yeah, I'm going to trust you, God. But then time and circumstances from when we made that commitment have changed. And now, yeah, God, but it's this. Look at this. Look at what's happening here. Because of that, we throw that trust out of the window. It's not the same deal as when we signed up. Psalm 15, 4 through 5, New Century Version says, Those who obey the Lord always do what they promise. No matter, look at this, how much it may cost, whoever does these things will always be secure. Wouldn't you always like to be secure in your life? Always be secure in your faith? Always be confident in God? Even when tough stuff happens, well, God says you can, but, you know, you always need to trust in me first. I need to be number one on that list instead of number two or number three. And sometimes it's going to cost you something. It's not going to be easy. But when you do that, you will be secure. And so these four tests that come out of our trials, there's the pressure test, the profound disappointment test, the persistent test, and there's the priority test. Matthew 6, 33 in the New Living Translation says this, your heavenly Father knows your needs, and he will give you all you need from day to day. 
if you live for him and you make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Let me ask you this. What are your greatest needs? Think about that for a moment. What are your greatest needs? Are your greatest needs emotional? Greatest needs relational? Are your greatest needs physical? Are your greatest needs financial? Are your greatest needs spiritual? I'll be honest with you. I've got about three on that list, okay? So if you're going like, oh, I got this one, I got it, you're not alone, okay? I mean, some of us may be fortunate just to have one, <laughs> but some of us may have all of them, and that's okay. But what are your greatest needs? You see, if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern, then God will meet you there. And so how do you know if the kingdom of God is a primary concern? Let me ask you this. What do you think of most in your free time when you're not having to do this, that, or the other? What do you think? Is God a priority in your thoughts at that time? And how about this? How is your time, talent, and treasure used? Is God a priority in how you use your time, how you use your talent, how you use your treasure? If he is and if you think about him, he's a priority also in your thinking and your free time, then you have made the kingdom of God a primary concern in your life. And he will give you all you need. Now, I know that word need is kind of loaded. <laughs> it's not going to give you all you want, but he's going to give you all you need. And if you slow down and you rely on him, then you're going to have peace with that. You're going to have fulfillment with that. You're going to have actually a whole lot more fulfillment than getting what you want and then getting what you want and getting what you want because that stuff never lasts. It never, ever lasts. Isaiah 30, verse 15 in the New Century Version says this. This is what God says. If you come to me and trust me, you will be saved, you will be strong. You see the formula here? If we trust God, then that equals salvation and strength for us. And let me tell you what, there's nothing greater than those two things. Scott Kirpain years ago had a very popular song. And the words of the song absolutely nail what we're talking about this morning. Listen to his words. He has a reason for his try if we pass through in life. Driving rain beats down on those who hold faith. The heart of trust will always be quiet. He's the place. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whisper. Peace be still. He can settle in his seat, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he It's true. Sometimes he calms the storm in whatever trial you're in. Sometimes he doesn't. At those times, he will calm you in the midst of that storm. Because he will take care of all your needs if you will trust him. James, first chapter, verse 12 in the NIV says this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Do you know what a crown of life is? It's a symbol. 
It's a symbol of all that God wants for you in your life if you trust him. And he plants the seeds of that crown in our life now every day. And they grow and they grow and they grow until ultimately the end of our life and we go to be with him, we get that crown of life placed upon our heads. So receive the seeds of that crown now in your life by trusting him. By not just sitting back and looking at them, but getting your fingers and your life involved on the keys of your faith. And when a trial comes up, don't start stewing first thing. Getting upset, getting crazy. And don't seek that stress relief right away with something that's not really going to help, like a broken well. Something that's not really good, it's a bad habit. But bypass those Grab a hold of God and trust God first. That seeds of that crown of life will be planted deeper and deeper in your life. And that crown will be growing more and more in fruition. That's God's desire for you. And I pray this week that you will take those seeds and water those seeds. And examine what you do when that trial comes up. Because I know every one of us here is going to have some kind of a trial this week. Some kind of a test this week. So as you do, step back and look at yourself and see, are you going for option one, stewing? Option two, how can I get myself feeling better and get over this? Or option three, God help me. I challenge you this week to examine yourself and begin moving more and more and more to God at option three. Make him number one. Join me as we pray. Great God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And help us just to do that this week. When the trial comes along, as we know it's going to come, just help us to examine ourselves and help us to move you from number three to number one in our lives. Doing that, Father, help us realize that we will slow down. We can relax. Yeah, the trial still may be going on, but we know that ultimately you're going to either calm the storm in that trial or you're going to calm us. As that storm goes on. So, Father, we look forward to experiencing that with you this week. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.